Marble Machine. Listeners, I am standing outside the attic with today's marble in my hands, or rather, the three pieces that it broke into after I dropped it on my way down to the kitchen. Now I'm scared to go back in, because the Marble Machine and Tim will surely be mad at me for ruining this month's story. Oh, hey, Tim. Um, why I'm standing here in front of the door? Um, no particular reason. I'm not hiding anything behind my back. Tim, Tim, stop. Let go of my arm. Okay. I confess. I dropped the marble on my way to the kitchen. Yes, I, I know the marble machine won't be happy about that. Yes, you're right. No use lying or hiding. <clears throat> Time to face my fears. Hi, marble machine. I'm... I'm unbelievably sorry for what happened. I was on my way down to the kitchen and... What did it say, Tim? Oh, it already knows? Mm-hmm. So it's not angry and says I can just put the pieces into the little side pocket for broken stories. And it will fix it and make a three-part story from it. Well, listeners, that's good news. I can't tell you how glad I am that the machine is such a harmonious and forgiving entity. What, Tim? It has a mission for me? What kind of a mission? After I read the story, yes, yes, of course. After I read the story. Well, here it goes. The Puppet Master, written and narrated by Jacob Graff, recorded and edited by Tim Höfer. The fat kid closed his eyes. A soft piano symphony started playing in the back of his head. It wasn't a piece of music he had heard before and now remembered. It was just there, like a forgotten suitcase on a platform in a train station. Playing ever so slightly in the back of his head, the piano helped him to keep calm on his first day of school. Who's the fat kid? Marky asked and gave his friend a fist bump as he sat down at the school desk. Hey, fat kid. The fat kid didn't answer. Some people believe in God or destiny, some in reason and logic. Not the fat kid. He believed that someone was responsible for all the thoughts in his mind, that he wasn't smart enough to come up with himself. That someone he called the puppet master. And he was responsible for the piano music in his head, and from time to time, the puppet master even gave the fat kid the ability to see into the future. Fatty, did you go to the wrong school this morning? The fat kid turned to look at Marky, but then shied away. His face started twitching, and for the fraction of a second, his whole body trembled. Clenching his fingers around the wooden desk, the fat kid tried to calm himself. The piano in his head stopped playing as the puppet master granted him a vision. What you looking at, fatty? Shut up, Marky, Max said from the back row. Says who? Says me, dumbass. 
Mima, a skinny girl in a big gray hooded sweater, sat alone in the last row and chuckled at Max's comment, and then immediately made sure that no one had seen her reaction. She hated Marky and had a crush on Max, who was 13 but looked like 16 and was built like an athlete. It was practically programmed into his genes to get attention. He was a notorious loudmouth and a class clown, but to Nima's surprise, never a bully. A lot of things would have been so much easier for her if he would have been an asshole. She hated herself for liking him. Max and Marky stared daggers at each other. But the tension broke as Mr. Rooney, their history teacher, entered the room and opened his lessons with breaking news. Morning class, did anyone read the papers today? Baker, in the back row, raised his hand. Is that a question, Baker, or are you raising your hand to tell me that you read the paper? In that case, you might want to look up the meaning of a rhetorical question in the dictionary. Baker put his hand down thinking about what he had been asked, and Mr. Rooney continued. Well, as some of you probably know from secretly admiring me during my lunch breaks, I enjoy my daily paper over a smartphone any day. Today, one particular headline caught my eye, and I would like to share it with you. A gang of masked robbers had attacked a young couple on their way through the town's forest to a nearby lake. Mr. Rooney used the article to catch the class's attention, and then transitioned to a lecture about gangs of robbers in medieval Europe. Robbers in the Schopenhauer forest? That's not even a half-hour bike ride from here. Pia, the class cutie, whispered to her best friends Max and Bougie. The three of them sat together in every class until the teachers were forced to separate them. Not Mr. Rooney. In his class, everybody paid attention. He made history sound like a movie. Which is why, to this day, some of the most notorious robber gangs have a certain heroic mystique and charm about them. Though, I doubt their victims would have agreed with that. Compared to the robbers who lived in the deep, dark woods of the past centuries, and who often mutilated, raped, and murdered their victims, the ones in today's papers look like absolute amateurs. The way Mr. Rooney combined the gruesome acts of medieval history with the incident at Schopenhauer Forest and the fact that the robbers were still on the run had the whole class glued to their seats. Before class ended, Mr. Rooney introduced the fat kid. Why don't you come out in the front of the class and introduce yourself? Pano, pano, pano... Pano one, the kid said, with a tiny voice and a few giggles arose. C calm down, everyone. S sorry for mispronouncing Poman. Do you have a nickname? It Pnom One, not Poman. The fat kid corrected him as the laughing grew louder. My friends call me Squid. With that, the class completely lost it. And for the first time in the whole school year, Mr. Rooney had to slam his hand down on his desk to quiet things down again. Are we done, people? Okay. Give a warm welcome to Pnom One. Um, Squid, please. He just started with us this week, and even though it's a weird time to change school for just a few days before the summer holidays, I'm sure you'll integrate him well. Right, class? Right, class? Yes, Mr. Look at his armpits. He sure sweats like a squid. Marky commented, and roars of laughter filled the classroom. Outside on the playground, Pia, Max and Bougie made plans for the summer holidays. Pia looked at Nima as she walked past, with her hands deeply hidden in the huge pockets of her hooded sweater. 
her reputation for having broken various noses and not caring about school punishment made most of the other kids avoid her. A few secretly admired her for being so mysteriously melancholic. She creeps me out, Pia said. Just because she doesn't spend hours in front of the mirror before she leaves the house? Max defended her. It's obvious that she resembles a sensitive leftist type that refuses to be brainwashed by the system and despises everything that smells even slightly mainstream. There's no reason to hate her. That wannabe sophisticated comment came from Bougie. His real name was Hamadi Zahab, but he had gotten his nickname when he tried giving Max and Pia an unasked-for history lesson about his birthplace, the Mediterranean port town in Algeria, which used to be called Bougie because of its involvement in wax trade. Uh-huh, Max groaned. And it's also a wax candle. What? A bougie. A bougie is a wax candle. You're a wax candle. I I'm not a... Shut up, bougie, was all Max said to end the argument. Bougie, Pia said. I like it. Suits you. And that was that. Everyone called him bougie from that day on. From an outsider's perspective, Bougie and Max were best friends, and even Pia thought of the two as inseparable. But there was an unspoken truce between them. Bougie benefited from Max's charisma, and would probably have been a loner like Nima if it weren't for his handsome, well-respected best friend. Max, on the other hand, knew that it was an advantage to have Bougie around as an advisor. If Max was the muscle, Bougie was the brain. Bougie's talent to get himself out of trouble and Max's talent to get himself into trouble became a steady foundation between them. In a peculiar way, they benefited from each other's differences. But at the same time, a deep jealousy was patiently waiting underneath the mantle of their friendship. Nima crossed the school playground, wondering if her tent was still in the bushes where she had hidden it this morning, when she heard a voice. What's in the fanny pack, fatty? A few kids formed a circle around Marky and Squid. Nima had kept an eye on the new kid since this morning's class. She had seen him gaze into empty space when Marky had insulted him, and he was staring into empty space again right now. Despite his sweat marks, Squid seemed awkwardly calm, almost absent-minded. As if he couldn't care less that an obviously much stronger boy was pushing and shoving him around. Marky had already taken his backpack and emptied it on the concrete floor of the school playground and was now trying to grab Squid's fanny pack. The bystanders passively waited for things to take their course. Nima joined them. What's in the fanny pack, fat boy? Marky repeated. Hand it over. I'll take it anyway. As if awaking from a daydream, Squid looked at Marky and said, We are all our own murderers. What? The thought the puppet master had planted in his head was so irritating that he had to let it out. It was that the purpose of life was simply to become one's own murderer. We all die, but we are also all responsible for our own death. If we look at the details of our actions, we are in a slow but constant process of killing ourselves. With every breath we take, we inhale fine particles that pollute us. With every bite of food, with every step we take, we add a microscopic amount of poison that might just do the job in the end. Then, there are more severe measures like smoking, driving cars, climbing mountains, jumping out of airplanes, just in case the little things fail. Squid looked at Marky and wondered if he would listen to him, 
if you were to explain to him this theory. Unlikely, he concluded. Marky ignored Squid's comment and grabbed his fanny pack. But to Marky's surprise, Squid pushed him back as soon as he laid hands on it. That, in turn, didn't go well for Squid because Marky answered with a fist to his face. Leave him alone, Nima shouted. Some kids turned around and looked at the skinny girl with the black hoodie pulled deep over her face. Marky knew that Nima had been suspended for carrying a knife once and was slightly nervous as she took a step toward him. Squid was still lying on the ground, glad that the piano tune had returned to comfort him after having been sucker-punched. What you gonna do, suicide freak? Marky said, defending his reputation as the school bully. Why you always wearing hoodies? Bet you got no tits. He puffed up his chest and walked over to her. Nima lowered her eyes and looked at the chalk circle on the ground about a leg's length in front of her. She didn't look up until she saw Marky's foot step into the circle. You ain't saying nothing now, huh, scarecrow? Marky squeaked as Nima delivered a precisely measured American football kickoff between his legs. While Marky was still struggling to understand the agony he was in, Nima pulled down his pants. The crowd cheered. I said, leave him alone, Nima repeated, and put a hand in the pocket of her hoodie to suggest that she was indeed carrying a weapon. She helped Squid back to his feet, and they left Marky standing there in his boxer shorts, trying to pull his pants up as the crowd's roaring laughter devoured him. You'll pay for that! Marky shouted after her. Never in his life had anyone ever dared to embarrass him in such a way. I'll promise I'll make you pay for that, and then you'll commit suicide just like your parents. Marky had spread the rumor about Nima's parents having committed suicide about a year ago, and he kept bringing it up whenever he had the chance to. It wasn't true, but that didn't make it any better. All Nima knew about her real mother and father was that they had died in an unresolved case of home invasion. She had witnessed the crime at the time, but had been too young to remember anything. After being brought to an orphanage, she was adopted by her foster parents. You okay? Nima asked Squid. You're very brave, he said. I just hate that guy, Nima scoffed. Phil, you didn't have to do that. Thank you. Welcome. You didn't do so bad yourself. I mean, you didn't seem scared. I wasn't. I, I knew it was going to happen. You knew? Yeah. Like, I know you don't have a weapon, which makes you even more brave. Uh, how did you know? Squid shrugged his shoulders. I know stuff before it happened. Not always, but sometimes. I, and not very far in advance, usually, <clears throat> although that changes from time to time. It's not like I choose to know things. It just happens. Kind of like when I've, you know, when you've lost something and you suddenly remember where you put it. You're being serious, right? Yes, and, and you don't believe me, right? Well, you were right about the weapon. I just have this, she said, and pulled out a joint and a lighter. Want to share it with me? Is that... drugs? Nima raised an eyebrow. You never tried? No. She lit the joint and passed it to Squid. Mm, I don't feel anything. You need to inhale, silly. 
He tried again after Nima showed him the right technique, and Squid coughed. Feel something now? It feels uh, like my eyes are glued together. I usually just get hungry. Pia, Max and Bougie were in the same park smoking a pack of cigarettes that Max had proudly stolen from their chemistry teacher. He inhaled and passed the pack to the others. Creep girl at two o'clock. And look, a new kid is with her. Are they smoking weed? Max asked. Smells like it, Pia scoffed. She probably does all kinds of drugs after what happened to her parents. I can hear you, Nima said. Well then, come over here and share your joint, Max said. Why should I? I don't know, maybe to make some new friends? Leave her, Max, Bougie said. What? I'm serious. I'm just saying she should hang out with us. Who stays all alone all the time anyway? Uh, she's not alone, Squid said. True, Max admitted. I never saw her hang out with anybody before you, though. What's your name again? Squid. Didn't you say that's how your friends called you? Nima asked. Yes. But uh, you don't even know these guys. I like making new friends. It's just that they usually don't like being my friends for very long. Why? People think I'm weird. I like weird. <laughs> I knew that. I don't like wise asses. Sorry. Well, Max said, feeling a bit left out of the conversation. Well, what? Since we're all friends now, will you let us smoke the joint? I'll give you a cigarette. I stole a pack from Mrs. Goodell in chemistry. Nima hesitated, but then walked over and shared her joint. It's not really enough for all of us. You got any more? Not here. I have some in the forest. The forest? Yeah. Schopenhauer Forest. Did you know that those robbers Mr. Rooney mentioned are still out there? Max changed the subject. I doubt they're still in the forest, Nima said. Why is that? Too much police there in the last few days? How'd you know? Because I live there? You live by the forest, Bougie joined in. In the forest. Bullshit. Pia scoffed. Half the school knew that Nima owned a tent. She carried it with her to school sometimes. What they didn't know was that Nima used the tent as a hideaway from home whenever she wanted to get away from her foster parents. If she wasn't gone for more than a week, they didn't even bother looking for her. I was going to see if my tent is still where I hid it. Want to join? Nima asked Squid. Um, I'm not so sure. Why? I saw something this morning. What? I knew I'd be in a forest with you. Squid hesitated and turned his head to the others. And them? Come on, let's leave these two freaks alone. Pia said. Stop being so bitchy, Max said. Sorry, she's really easygoing once you get to know her. I don't want to get to know her, Nima said. But you will! Squid suddenly burst out. Sorry, I sometimes I can't control myself very well. Is that why you got kicked out of your old school? Nima asked. I wasn't kicked out, it's just that all the kids made fun of me, which I didn't really mind. But the teachers thought 
it would be better for me to try a, um, a fresh start somewhere else. You don't mind being made fun of? Bougie asked. Being made fun of really wasn't that bad in Squid's opinion. At least it meant that people were paying attention. The worst thing for Squid was if people ignored him and acted as if it didn't matter at all whether he existed or not. He explained to Max and the others his ability to foreshadow certain events and how these visions mostly came in sudden flashes and were never very clear. The vision he had had about all of them in the forest had been a momentary daydream about a tent and a fire and them all holding hands. It was actually more than holding hands. Our arms were melting together and we couldn't get away from each other. And it felt both warm and nice, like when people are good friends. Doesn't sound too bad, Bougie injected. But at the same time, we, we were all very scared. Scared about what? I don't know, just scared. And Max, you had a metal lighter in your hand and then everything burned. A metal lighter, Max asked. Are you shitting me? Describe the lighter. I don't know, just the metal and square. Like this one. Max said and pulled out a Zippo. Squid looked at it and nodded. By now, Squid had all of them genuinely interested, even though Pio was still pretending to find it all very silly. He must have seen it when you lit the cigarettes. He's trying to prank us. I think it's for real, Nima said and told them that Squid hadn't been scared at all when Marky hit him because he knew it was going to happen. That's all you saw? Max asked. Us in the forest holding hands, being scared... Then I pull out a Zippo and all goes up in flames? There was... Squid paused and sucked in a few short breaths. What? Max asked. Uh, a feeling uh, as if the whole world forgets about you. So when's this forest vision supposed to go down? I don't know. Um, tonight, maybe? Even now that you told us. I mean, we could just all not go to the forest. Pia said. Squid shrugged his shoulders. What do you think it means? Nima asked. The, the vision. I, I don't know. It might just mean that we all get pretty stoned and feel a little paranoid, Max offered. Or it doesn't mean anything at all because we're not going to be in a damn forest together, Pia said. At least I'm not. But Pia had a pretty cool theory about the robbers in the forest. Bougie said, managing to reel her back in. Just an idea, Pia grunted. Like what? I think it was an inside job. According to the newspapers, the robbers' victims had been staying in the only hotel near the lake. On the day of the robbery, they were carrying a lot more cash on them because they planned to change money in the city after a swim in the lake. So you think the robbers were employees at the hotel? Nima asked. Maybe. For sure they don't live in the forest, like the robbers Mr. Rooney was talking about, said Bougie. Yeah, I would have noticed that. You really want us to believe that you live in a tent in the Schopenhauer forest? Pia asked. I don't care what you believe, but I'll show you if you like. I believe you, Max said and smiled at Nima. Seriously, guys, why would she lie about something like that? Uh, because it makes her look cool, Pia said. It is cool. You know what's even cooler? That we don't have to go to school the next three days. No one disagreed with that. 
We've got robbers, Squid the fortune teller, Nima the wood elf, and a chance to go camping in the forest. If you ask me, this sounds like the perfect adventure. I say we're all staying in the forest tonight. We? Pia asked. Yeah, like all five of us. What do you say? That's the worst idea you've ever had. But? But nothing. But you're in because you know my ideas are the best. Bougie was in straight away. Not because of the same craving for adventure that drove Max, but because of Nima. She was different than the other girls, and he had a feeling that she might be the first girl that might fall for his intellect and not for Max's looks and his big mouth. And if Bougie was in, Pia could be convinced too. Such was the dynamic of their triangular friendship. Bougie had a secret crush on Pia ever since they first met, but Max had been dating her then. When Max broke up with her, Bougie tried to make his move, but she made it very clear that he wasn't the next in line. Being friend-zoned like that was hard on him at first, although he soon realized that being a girl's best friend had certain advantages. It didn't take long for him to talk her into the trip. I think I would like to see your tent too, Squid said. I guess we're all in then, Max said, waiting for Nima's response. Nima looked at the three boys first, and then at Pia. My tent's way too small for us. There's a tent at my grandmother's, I think, Max said. They prepared the trip right on the spot. Max knew a guy who was old enough to buy them liquor, and he was sure that they would find everything else they needed for the trip in his grandmother's attic. Infected by Max's excitement, they raided his grandmother's storage room, and after stuffing their backpacks with sweet corn chips and marshmallows, they headed to the forest. Welcome back, listeners, and I hope you enjoyed the story. I can't wait for the next part early next month. I still have no idea what the mission is that the marble machine has for me, but apparently Tim told me to leave it alone for today because fixing the broken marble was quite strenuous and exhausting for it. Sorry about that again, marble machine. But whatever my mission will be, listeners, do be sure that whatever happens in this world, the next marble will drop. So. Uh, please do support us on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash themarblemachine, and check out our website, themarblemachine.com. <laughs>